0: One of the blessed truths that these scriptures reveal to us about the Lord Jesus as we read them is that while he is fully human in every way, just as we are, he also remains fully God. He is always fully man and fully God. And he has all those attributes of God. And one of those attributes that I've mentioned often, and it's spoken about throughout these scriptures, is that as he ministered among the people each day, he knew what each one of them was thinking. I've reminded you of this many times, but keep this in mind. He knew what each of the people around him was thinking, their deepest thoughts, and also he knew the motives of their hearts. And that was what was taking place on this occasion that we'll study about here in this passage in Luke chapter 11. you recall that in the scripture verses given to us earlier in this chapter, how as the crowds gathered around Jesus as he was casting out a demon, that some of them, especially the scribes and the Pharisees, they were accusing him of being in league with the devil. And they began demanding that he showed them signs as to who he was. Those words in verse 17, the Lord Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And those words, those words there in verse 17, they clearly tell us this truth about the Lord Jesus, that he knew the thoughts of everyone that was there with him that day. And then also, much more than that, as I mentioned a moment ago, he knows the thoughts of everyone, everywhere, in all of time. And he didn't just know. He didn't just know what those people were thinking that day. As I mentioned a moment ago, he also knew their motives and the evil presence that was also there that provoked their evil thoughts about him. Folks, being able to know those thoughts, being able to have those attributes, that's an attribute of God, and Jesus Christ is God. And then here also in the passage that we'll be studying today, Jesus addressed those secret thoughts that were prompting the questions and the accusations. And we need to especially notice that Jesus does not hold back. This is very important. Jesus does not hold back with his precious words of truth as so many of our preachers in our modern-day churches do now. Jesus was not concerned with how he might offend some within his congregation. He simply spoke the truth, and he let it stand on its own merits. I confess to you that that sort of thing comes to my mind. I wonder if I will be offensive to one of you in something that I might say from these scriptures but I must not do that the lord jesus didn't do that and I need never do that listen to these words now from beginning in verse 29 from luke chapter 11 verse 29 when the crowds were increasing he began to say this generation is an evil generation it seeks for a sign But no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. And the Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. And the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. As we consider these words, may we keep in mind that godly attribute that I mentioned a moment ago. That Jesus was able to fully know all the inmost thoughts and the intents of every person's heart in that big crowd that had gathered around him that day. And he knew that they had not come with humble hearts, desiring redemption for their sins. He knew well that the condition of their souls was still so thoroughly vested within their own evil generation that they were blinded to their deeper need, the need for salvation. And he knew also that at best they were seeking for a sign not realizing that they had already been receiving signs, many of them, from God. But they would just not been able to recognize those signs. In another place in these Gospels, Jesus would tell the people about an incident involving a beggar and a rich man. A circumstance in which both of them had died. And in that story, the beggar was comfortably resting within Abraham's bosom, paradise. But the rich man was enduring terrible suffering and torment. And the rich man, looking over and seeing the beggar Lazarus, ask if Lazarus, would be allowed to go back and warn the family of that rich man. But he was told no. No. He was told that that man's family had already received their opportunity for warnings and signs. They'd had the miracles and the laws of Moses and the words of the prophets to guide them. But they had not responded to those signs that had been given to them. But as we're told all throughout these scriptures, an evil and corrupt generation has difficulty with the things of God. They can look at the evil taking place and not know it. And they struggle to see and to hear the signs that God had already given to them. Most often they were blinded By their own ideas. And we relate to that in this generation. Blinded by their own ideas, their own philosophies, their own practices. Too invested in their own beliefs to see the real truths of God. But even knowing all of that, with great mercy and love, Jesus went ahead then at that time and he gave them signs and warnings anyway. He gave them two. First he gave them the sign of Jonah a man who had been sent by God to give a message of salvation to a vile and corrupt group of people. And then also bringing to their minds how Jonah was in the belly of that whale for three days, and then he was raised back to life by God. Now, perhaps later on, some of those same people that are listening there that day would think back on what Jesus had said, and they would connect that to Him being in the grave for three days after his crucifixion. And then also Jesus gave them another sign. He pointed out to them how the queen of the south had with great humility traveled a great distance with great effort to hear and to experience the wisdom of Solomon. And so with that, the Lord Jesus very humbly, but emphatically pointed out to them that one greater than Solomon and one greater than Jonah, was standing before them that day. And those people, as they listened to Jesus, they didn't comprehend what he was saying at that moment. And most of them probably would never really grasp the precious truth that he was giving to them because they were still blinded by their own beliefs. But Jesus, the one that was speaking to them that day, truly was greater truly was greater than anyone that had come before and anyone who would come afterwards. He was the great and almighty God of the universe, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And these signs that Jesus gave to them, they were good signs, signs they should have recognized. But because these people's hearts were hardened and because they didn't have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them to explain those words to them, they were blinded. They were blinded from seeing and also from hearing the truth. But even though these people and their hearts were hard, Jesus was the ever faithful and true watchman at the gate. You recall there in the book of Ezekiel where the Son of Man was the watchman. Jesus was always and is always a watchman. And so in, with these people, he still called forth a warning to them saying to them that if they did not repent, repent of their ways and their conditions, that a day would surely come, a great and a terrible day, a day when all people would be called into an account for all the things that they've ever done in this life. And he warned them that on that day, the people of Nineveh, that corrupt people of Nineveh and the Queen of the South, they would all rise up and they would be witnesses against these very ones he was talking to this day. And also, for any in the crowd that day that might possibly have been willing to hear, within the sign of Jonah, Jesus was also giving a deeper, more implicit sign. It was a warning with a a double accountability. These Hebrew people were the ones who had been entrusted to carry forward all of the precious oracles and the truths of God and the warnings that he had given. And to not only know those truths of God, They were also to go and to preach them and to teach them to others. But they had not done that. They had not done that. They had not followed through with that special calling. Their eyes were unable to see and their ears were unable to hear. And they didn't seem to even know that they had a responsibility to go ye into all the world. And so they failed miserably. And then it would be later with the Gentile world, us Gentiles, who would need to take up that responsibility for them, that we would be a witness both to them, but also in that great and terrible day, witnesses in judgment against them. How sad that must have been to the Lord that His own dear children would become so totally corrupt that they would miss out on the purposes that God had called them to be about. Now a question that this brings to you and me, is there a similar warning Please consider this personally. Is there a similar warning that's being given to us in these words, to you and me? Does God intend words like this to be a rebuke to us of our own personal lack of obedience? As we well know, you and I live in a very similar crooked and perverse and evil generation. That day was no worse than the day that we're in today. We live in a crooked and perverse and evil generation. And we can very easily get caught up within its grasp. And too often we do. And we don't even know it. And folks, listen though. On that great and terrible day when we stand before the holy God, the righteous God, the righteous judge of all the earth, will we be found guilty? Will you and I be found guilty of having having fallen short of the calling and the purpose that God has for us. Because just as with Jonah, you and I as believers, we've received the precious truths of God. And we've been given them with the intention that we would go ye into all the world and that we would preach them and teach them to others. That we would go ye into our own cities, our own cities like Nineveh, and give them the gospel that will save their souls. Folks, in this one town alone, for every person that's sitting in a church right now, there's probably at least a hundred people that have no interest, no understanding that they need to be in a church. And we're the ones with the truth to tell them about it. We've been charged with that responsibility. But what have we done? What have we done with the truths that we have received that God has given to us? Have we held on to those truths and used them only for our own personal benefit alone? We do that. We read these words of truth. And so we know that it's these precious teachings of the Lord that come out of these gospels. They'll make us a better family. They'll make us a better husband, a better wife, a better neighbor. But have we simply taken those truths and held them up close and used them only for our own Personal benefit. Or have we done what God has intended? And that is, have we joyfully shared them with others? I really do fear for the most part that very much like Jonah, we've been unwilling to go forth and to give these truths to others. You'll recall that Jonah had been sent forth to Nineveh with a message that would save those people from their sins. And not only from their sins, from that certain destruction of their whole nation but for reasons within his own heart he was unwilling to go you and i truly have been given a special calling just like jonah oftentimes though just like jonah we're very reluctant to go on forward and to fulfill that ministry that god has called us to do and most often consider this most often our reasons for not going on forward are not big reasons. They're usually nothing more than petty self-interest and self-centeredness. We're busy. We work hard. We have family. We have all these other reasons. And so, for all of those reasons, we somehow are content to let others perish. There's some, a scripture passage here in the Gospels that speak where a man said, Oh, I have a wife... And I need to go and tend to her. And then another man said, let me first go and bury my father. Now both of those sound like good reasons. But let me assure us that they will not sound so very good when we are standing there on that great and terrible day of judgment. As I look at my own reasons for not going on forward with this gospel of Christ and doing more, much more than I've ever done, I find that most often that the same is true for me. I'm simply caught up in the matters of my own self, my lifestyle, my self-life. It has a strong grip on me. And because of that, I don't really have a lot of time left over to go ye into all the world and preach this gospel. And so as I have studied through these words, I've thought, what is the answer for us? What's the answer for me? What's the answer for you? What is the cure for your and my wretchedly self-centered reluctance. The cure for us, listen, the cure for us is the same that God had to administer to Jonah. We, you and I, will need to go through our own belly of the whale experience. God will need to take us through a death to self experience. That's what Jonah went through. Jonah needed to die to his own self And his own reasons for not wanting to go and preach to Nineveh. God will need to take you and me through one of those death to self experiences. In Galatians chapter 2, God calls that being crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20, listen to these words. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I. But Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Our old self, our sin nature, is a powerful entity who before we were saved, before we were saved, lived within us and controlled us in the same way that a slave master controls his slaves continually influencing and controlling and demanding in all the matters of our day. And though our old self has now been defeated, and it truly has been, been washed clean by the blood of Christ, it still tries, that old self still tries to reach back up and regain the control that it once had over us, tempting us to join back in with this evil generation and into the simple ways of this Generation. But as God said to Cain, and listen carefully, as God said to Cain just before he went out and killed his brother, he said to Cain, Sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you, but you must master it. Folks, sin is not something that we can just avoid, it is a predator and it seeks to grab hold of us and to bring us back in under its control. But he says we must master it. Most of us don't think that we can master sin. But by the Lord's own words here, he enables us to master that sin that wants to control us. You and I have this indwelling power of the Holy Spirit within us. And with the Holy Spirit within us, we can master the sin that wants to control us. But there's only one way. Only one cure available to us. We really do have to go the way of Jonah. We can't continue the way that we are with living a life that is convenient to whatever we want to do. Like him, you and I need to go through our own personal death to self. What does self want to do? It controls us. And we need to go through that death to self experience. Listen to these words again. I am crucified with Christ. Difficult words, but think about them. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, again, think long and hard on those words. And please understand that those words are not speaking about a salvation experience. It's not what God is talking about here. He's not talking about a salvation experience. Jonah didn't need to go through a salvation experience. Jonah was already saved long before he was in the belly of that whale. No, in that belly of the whale experience, Jonah went through a sanctification experience. And that's what God is calling you and me to experience. We're saved, yes. We've given our heart to Christ, but we're not in obedience to Him. Our salvation is being kept for our own personal benefit. And it's not being shared with others so that they might be saved. So that they might start to live a life that Christ desires of them. And the life that we're living so often is not the one that God has planned for us. Just as with Jonah, he's calling you and me to go on forth. One person at a time. But go on forth. And to bring more people into his kingdom. But to do that, you and I are going to have to divest ourselves of some of our old self ways. We cannot continue the way we are and be in obedience to Him. We're going to need to change those old ways, our old habits, our old affinities. Anything that holds us back from going on forward with the calling that God has placed on our hearts. And again, God calls this stepping forward sanctification. That's the next step after salvation is sanctification. He tells us in First Thessalonians in just simple words of verse 3. He says of 1 Thessalonians 4, he tells us, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Simple words, but that is the will of God that we would be sanctified. We would join with him. That we would be set apart from all of those other things. That's part of the meaning of sanctification. That we're set apart from this world and we're set apart for the purposes of God. And it's absolutely imperative that you and I move on forward with this sanctification. Else our lives will be, listen, our lives will be worth little more than those very churched scribes and Pharisees that Jesus pronounced so many woes upon. In our salvation, you and I truly have been born again. And God wants us to be, to truly become new creatures. New creatures. Not the old. We're born again. And we can do that. But only if we're willing to take this sign of Jonah that he's speaking about here and to make it our own by going on through that death to self-experience of being crucified with Christ. It's then and only then that we'll become that new creature that he wants us to become. He tells us in Second Corinthians 5, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creature. New. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Are you a new creature? Now, I know these things are mysterious, and they're so incomprehensible most of the time, especially to our ordinary mind. But it's still our calling. It's still our calling. And if we'll only allow God to take us through those experiences, then we can really, truly be transformed. And yes, those steps will be painful because we're going to be doing new things. We're going to give up things that we really like to do. Things that we have heretofore thought was the exact right thing to do. But it's not in obedience to His commands. So the change will be painful. He wants us to live what He calls a resurrected life. In Romans chapter 6, the Lord talks about a resurrected life. Recall that the Lord Jesus, when He went into the grave, He was carrying all of our sins with Him. The burden of all of our sins. But then, when he was resurrected back to life, he was freed from sin. Sin no longer had any control. And that's the resurrected life that he wants you and me to live. Listen to these words Romans chapter 6. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Simple question Why do you continue to live? Why do I continue to live? In that same old lifestyle. Yes, doing a lot of things right, but really not in obedience to these words that he's told us here in these scriptures today. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? to die that death with Him. Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. He wants us to walk that same resurrected life freed from the power of sin. For we have, if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection, freed from sin. Knowing this, that our old man, our old self, was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, and that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Folks, yes, these words are mysterious. And yes, we're going to have to get along with the Holy Spirit and say, explain them further to me. But then, once we do that, they'll become clear to us we will begin to know that our old habits, our old behaviors, our lifestyles can truly change, can truly change. You and I, in our salvation, we no longer are under the control of our sin nature. It's as simple as that. In our salvation, we are freed from the old sin nature. The blood of Christ has killed it out, and we need to go on ahead and let our old nature die. We need to quit breathing life into our old nature. And folks, I, for one, really am ready to be set free from that old nature. And I want the same for you. I want the same for you. So then, I would ask you and me today to begin to pray that God would grab hold of us and carry us through the same death to self-experience that he did with Jonah so that we can begin to live a life that is free indeed. Free indeed. Listen to these words and we'll close. If the Son shall set you free, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus, if the Son therefore shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creature. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we confess that we're weak and that we're wicked. We're still hanging on to this generation. We're still a part of it. But, Father, we don't want to be. Not any longer. We want to die to self and be alive to Christ. And so we plead with you. Help us to do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.